Hello, and welcome to 7-Minute Explainers. I'm Jesse Wright Mendoza, and today I'd like to tell you about the obscure 19th century murder case that shaped our modern reproductive laws. The story begins in Philadelphia, May 1838. A former factory girl named Eliza Sowers takes a servant position with the family of a Mr. William Nixon. But by the end of the summer, Eliza quits the Nixons. Her sisters notice that Eliza is irregular, that she's not getting her period, which Eliza initially chalks up to having a cold. The fact is, Eliza Sowers is pregnant. If she knows this, she doesn't let on. All that's known is that in September 1838, Eliza sets out to remedy her problem. Like most states at the time, Pennsylvania followed a version of English common law, which held that abortions could be legally performed or induced up to what was called the quickening. The quickening was when the fetus first started to move in the womb between the 15th and 20th week of pregnancy. Back in the 19th century, the quickening was commonly accepted as not only the start of a woman's pregnancy, but also the start of life, the moment of ensoulment, when a fetus receives its soul. Prior to that, there was no life to protect. Missed periods could just as well signal some other ailment, which, in a time of rampant disease, malnutrition, and poor medical knowledge, wasn't so far-fetched. Since there was no way to accurately test for pregnancy, women retained an unusual amount of autonomy over their bodies and choices. If a woman found her period to be, in the parlance of the day, blocked, she had a number of options. She could look for frank advice in home medical manuals like the Married Ladies Companion, which detailed how to restore menstruation using common herbal or household items. Newspapers also carried advertisements for abortion services and commercially made drugs advertised as menstrual stimulators or female regulators were readily available. If all else failed, she could quietly seek out a sympathetic doctor who would help her, quote, get to rights. When Eliza Sowers found her menstruation blocked in September 1838, she tried herbal drugs like magnesia, tansy, and pennyroyal. And when those failed to work, Eliza went to a Dr. Henry Chauncey. Chauncey set her up in a boarding house and fed her a host of mixtures that were essentially meant to make Eliza violently ill. By the third day, Eliza was sick, but still pregnant. Dr. Chauncey attempted an instrumental abortion using a tool that resembled a knitting needle. That night she began hemorrhaging. And a few days later, still bleeding, she started to cry for her mother. A week after the botched abortion, Chauncey moved her from the boarding house to one that catered to prostitutes. Eliza was pale, weak, and in constant pain. Another doctor was called in, and it was decided that nothing more could be done for Eliza. She was moved to Chauncey's house so that she wouldn't die in such a sordid setting. On October 13, 1838, a little more than a week after first seeking Dr. Chauncey's help, 21-year-old Eliza Sowers was dead. In his formal report, the doctor stated that Eliza had come to him complaining of pain in her abdomen and made no mention of the abortion. But Eliza's family wasn't satisfied. 
they had Eliza's body disinterred and examined by two of Philadelphia's most respected physicians. The doctors deduced that Eliza had, in fact, been pregnant, and that her death was the result of a laceration to the uterus caused by a sharp object, an instrumental abortion. Chauncey was arrested and indicted for the murder of Eliza Sowers. Going against common law precedent at that time, the judge ruled that the act of abortion itself was unlawful. Therefore, Chauncey was responsible for anything that happened during the commission of this unlawful act. Over the course of a week, the jury heard more than 70 testimonies, but it was the testimonies of the two doctors who performed the autopsy who had perhaps the most influence on the case. Dr. Charles Meigs and Dr. Hugh Hodge presented a new theory to the jury, one that was gaining traction in the American medical community, but that hadn't gone mainstream yet, that life begins at conception. The quickening was just one part of a continuous timeline of development. Now, Meigs and Hodge were both highly educated and trained medical professionals with prestigious positions and backgrounds, and they had another reason for wanting to see abortion outlawed. You see, medicine was in the midst of a professionalization. Doctors were coalescing around an agreed-upon set of standards in education and licensing that hadn't previously existed. The medical field was overcrowded with all kinds of practitioners that lacked formal training. At the same time, demand for abortion was surging, but women were giving their money to apothecaries and herbalists and unqualified midwives and physicians who would perform abortions. By outlawing abortion, doctors could undercut their competitors and take back their decision-making powers from women and laypeople. The jury deliberated for two days. On January 21st, the jury found Chauncey guilty of the second-degree murder of Eliza Sowers. He was sentenced to five years in the Eastern State Penitentiary. Following the Chauncey decision, the tide turned against abortion. In 1847, the American Medical Association was formed. By the mid-1850s, the AMA had launched an all-out war against abortion. Throughout the mid-19th century, state after state codified the restriction against abortion at any time during pregnancy into law. By 1900, abortion was illegal throughout the United States. And that does it for this episode of 7-Minute Explainers. Look out for new episodes every Thursday on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jessie Wright Mendoza, and thanks so much for listening.